Uh, good morning. Uh, today is uh, part two of our series called God Never Said That, where we're taking a couple weeks where we're looking at sort of sayings that have been attributed to God that he just actually never said. And in case you missed it last week, we started the series by looking at the saying where people go, well, you know what? God just wants you to be happy. What did we learn last week? That what? God never said that. Next week, we're going to look at this phrase that goes something like this. People say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what you do, just as long as you're not hurting anybody. Well, guess what? God never said that. Then in the final week of the series, what we're going to look at is the saying that goes like this. People go, you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe, just as long as you're sincere. Guess what? God never said that either. Today, we're going to look at probably the, the most famous of all the sayings that God never actually said. But before we get to it, let me just make a little assumption here. All of you that are sitting here today or you're listening via to this podcast, you're either coming out of a difficult season of life, you're going through a difficult season in life, or you're about to go into a difficult season of life. Amen? Right? We, we all tend to just have these things that start to pile on to us. It's amazing how fast life can just sort of start to spiral out of control. It's just one thing after another. It's like a health crisis with this person and then, you know, maybe a financial crisis or your marriage isn't going the way you want it to go or the possibility that you could lose your job or something. It's just one thing after another, one thing, one thing. And all of a sudden you're like, God, I don't know if I can handle this. This is just too much for me. And I guarantee you that in that moment, some well-meaning bless their heart, Christian, it's going to come up to you and they're going to say something like this. Well, just remember, when God closes a door, He opens a window. Just like the lady in the video said. What in the world does that even mean? I mean, what if you're like suicidal when you're going through all this stuff and you happen to live like in a high-rise apartment building or something and they're like, well, God's opened up a window for me. Am I supposed to jump out? What am I supposed to do here? I mean, I, I have no idea what this is. Or, or somebody will say, well, you know, I know it's rough, but God helps those that help themselves. Well, guess what? God never said that either. In fact, God said the exact opposite of that. But the most famous thing that people will say when you're going through tough times is this. Well, sweetie, just remember, God will never give you more than what you can handle. But guess what? God never said that. God never said that I won't give you more than what you can handle. It, it sounds so scriptural. It sounds like it, it should be in the Bible. Haven't I heard that somewhere? God never said that. In fact, it's the opposite. Sometimes God will give you more than what you can handle. He wants you to have more than what you can handle. You're going, well, that doesn't make any sense at all. Well, before we actually get into why God would sometimes give you more than what you can handle, let's look at where does this saying come from? Why do we think that it's in God's Word? Well, I remember last week as we started the series, I said how frustrating it is anytime you're misunderstood or you get misquoted or somebody puts words into your mouth and that the same thing happens with God. Last week, we looked at a thing where people put words into God's mouth that, well, oh, God just wants you to be happy. That's putting words in his mouth. This particular week, this phrase of, well, God will never give you more than what you can handle, this actually comes from a scripture that's been misquoted. And so let's look at it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. 
The Apostle Paul is speaking, and he says this, The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can what? More than you can stand, right. So this is where we get this from. That some people think that, oh, well, God's Word says that God will not give you more than you can handle, but that's not what this says. What does it say that God won't give you too much of? Temptation, right. Not just anything in life. It's temptation that he won't give you more than what you can stand or handle. Not just anything. But yet, we have this mistaken notion that, well, it sounds like it's in the Bible somewhere. And so, yeah, that that must be it. That God will never give me more than what I can handle. But that's just simply not the truth. Again, the truth is God will sometimes give you more than what you can handle. There's example of this over and over and over again in Scripture. Take a guy like Gideon. God has called him to do a great thing for him. And, and Gideon's going, God, I'm the least of my family. I'm the, the, the worst of my tribe here. I just, I can't do it. There's no possible way, God, I can do what it is that you're calling me to do. The, the burden is too great on me. Or think about a guy like Moses. Moses is, is leading millions of people And he eventually says, God, these people are wearing me out. (laughs) I can't stand this anymore. I can't can't handle it. I I don't have what it takes to be a leader of all these people. I mean, I stutter and I have a speech impediment here. I I, I, I can't do it, God. It's more than I can handle. Or what about Queen Esther? She's been asked by God to to do a great thing. But she's going, God, I... I can't do this. It's, it's too much. I, I'm too afraid. King David. He gets confronted by and, and his sin is exposed. And he eventually gets to the place where he says this in, in Psalm chapter 38, verse 4. He realizes the magnitude of his sin. Remember, David was an adulterer. David was a murderer. And he says this, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden what? Like a burden too heavy to bear. It's like, it's too much, God. I, I can't handle this. Even happens with Jesus. Jesus, the night that he was to be crucified, he realizes that death is coming, that he's going to have to go to the cross. And he's like, man, I I wish there was another way for this to to go down. I I don't want to have to die like this. And he decides that he's going to go into a garden. He's going to pray. And he asks three of his disciples to come along with him. We read in Mark chapter 14, verses 33 and 34. It says he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. So he's starting to see that Sometimes God does give us more than what we can handle. And the question then becomes, why? Why would a a good and loving God, a a good, good father, as we just sang about, why would a good father like that give his children more than what they can handle? I think there's two reasons. If you're taking notes this morning, the, the first reason is this. God will sometimes give me more than what I can handle so that I'll learn to depend on his presence. So I'll learn to depend on this person. I'll be the first one to admit that when things are going really, really good in Gilbert's life, it's easy for me just to sort of go on autopilot and not be as thankful 
and as dependent on God as what I should be. When things are, are really, really good, it's like, oh, wow, I don't even need God. Now, I don't actually think that. And I still pray, and I still read the Bible, and you know, I still acknowledge God, and I thank Him for the blessings that He's given me. But it's just so easy not to have that sense of urgency of, God, I need you right now. And so sometimes God is going to allow things in your life that are more than you can handle because He's like, wait, they're getting further and further away from me the more I bless them. And so I'm going to allow some things in their life to, to draw them back in, to be drawn to my presence. Anyone else want to own up to this one? That sometimes when things are good, or am I the only one that's not spiritual around here? All right. <laughs> yeah, it's sometimes it's so easy just to forget about God when things are going good. But when things go bad, we get drawn into his presence. We seek him during the midst of trials and storms and difficulties. You know, there's a great example of this in the Old Testament of the Bible. There's this prophet, his name is Jonah, and God says, Jonah, I want you to go and, and confront this group called the Ninevites and, and their sin and, and tell them that they need to turn and repent. It's what Jonah's supposed to do, but you know what he says to, to God? He's like, mm -mm, no way, Jose. <laughs> Paraphrasing a little bit. It's like, I'm not doing that. I don't even like those people. And they don't like me. They'll, they'll kill me if I go out and do it. Uh-uh, I'm not doing that. If you know the story, Jonah actually gets on a boat going the opposite direction. He's not even going the right way. And we don't have time to get into it today. But through a strange series of circumstances, Jonah eventually, while he's on that boat, they throw him overboard. And he's there in the ocean now. And, and uh, a big uh, fish comes and, and swallows him up. And then eventually, like, just mm, heartburn, and, and uh, he's, like, thrown up onto the beach, right? And Jonah, later on in life, he's sort of recounting this whole situation of everything that had happened. He had gone through this storm. He had gone through this trial, through this difficulty. And he says this in Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And here's what Jonah said. When I was in trouble, Lord, I prayed to you and you listened to me. From deep in the world of the dead, I begged for your help, and you answered my prayer. I want you to notice that it was in Jonah's distress, not his success, that he cried out to God. That it was when things were tough, when the storms came, when the difficulties came, that's when he cried out to God. And see, the same needs to be true for your life and for my life. But yet, what do we do many times? When we're going through the storm, when we're going through difficulties, we're like, oh, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care for me. God, why are you allowing this to happen in my life right now? God, are you even with me right now? But here's what I need you to understand. Just because you're in the presence of a storm doesn't mean that you've left the presence of God. God is always there with you. It doesn't matter what's happening. Jesus said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always right there with you. And so sometimes God's allowing these storms of life to come and so that we can learn to depend on him and learn to depend on his presence. Because, yeah, life's going to happen. Jesus said, in this world, you will face trouble. The winds are going to come. The waves are going to knock you down occasionally. The storm clouds will come rolling through. You're going to be like, God, I don't understand why. 
And maybe he doesn't want you to necessarily understand why in the moment. Because he just wants you to say, God, even in the midst of it all, the thing I want most is to be with you. To be with you, to know you, to be in your presence. Because that's really all that I need right now. So, why does God sometimes give us more than what we can handle? The first thing was so that we would learn to depend on his presence. Number two, so that I can experience his power. See, the danger with this, this lie of that God won't give you more than you can handle is some of you actually believe it. And so, if that's really true, that God won't give you more than you can handle, when things are bad, you think, you know what? I've just got to be strong. I've just got to keep pressing on here. I just got to buck up under it. Just keep on going. Just keep on going. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. But listen, that's not something that God wants you to do. God doesn't want you to have the power to do life on your own, to be strong enough to get through everything on your own. That's not why he created you. He created you actually with a, a sense of dependence on him. And sometimes you've got to get to a place in life where, you know, he's allowed things into your life where you're like, God, the only thing I know is to, to cry out to you. I need your power. Because I, I can't do this. God, it's not about me. It's got to be about you. I don't have the strength, but God, you do have the strength. See, it's only when you get to the place where you say, God, you've given me more than I can handle, and I'm okay with that because now I get to experience your power, that you'll ever really see God's power work in your life. See, if it's always about you and you always doing your own thing and, and being really, really strong in this situation, you're never going to experience the full power of God. That's why we've got to step back and say, God, less of me and more of you. You know, I think if there was anybody in the Bible that probably understood this, this thing of God giving you more than you can handle, it'd be the Apostle Paul. In the second letter that he writes to the church in the city of Corinth, he uh, is actually at the very end of it talking about this thing. He's like, this thorn in my flesh that I've got. Now, scholars have debated for years exactly what was this thorn in his flesh that, that Paul was dealing with. Some scholars say that it was his poor eyesight. Some say that it was the persecution that he was facing. Others say it was a, a guilt and shame he had over his past because Paul, at one point, he had been a persecutor of Christians and a, a murderer of Christians himself. There's some other theories that are out there as well. We're not as sure exactly what it was, this thorn in his flesh that he had, but what we do know is that it really, really bothered Paul to the point that he does say this. He says, three different times, I begged and I pleaded with God to take this away from me. You ever been there before? Where you're begging and you're pleading with God that, that God, please heal my loved one. God, please fix my finances. God, please heal my marriage. Three different times, and this is just personal opinion, but I think that when it says that three different times that he prayed about this, I don't think it was like three different days and three different times. I think this is like three seasons of life where it just got overwhelming for him to the point that he just like was 
begging and pleading, fasting and praying. He may even have invited other people in to pray and fast about this situation. That God, this is more than what I can handle. Please take this away from me. Again, we're not sure exactly what it was. But it was overwhelming his life. Now I want to sort of take a little detour here before we look at it a little bit more. Let me ask you a question. Where would you rank Paul in the list of like all-time Christians? Where, where would you? It'd have to be pretty, pretty high, right? I mean, we're talking about Paul here, the, the guy that wrote 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. A guy that was a church planner. We got some of our church planning commission here today. This guy knew how to plant churches. He planted dozens and dozens of churches. He led thousands and thousands of people in a relationship with Jesus. He, uh, his influence is still being felt here in 2016. I mean, Paul, Paul, at least top 100. I mean, personally, he's my hero. I put him at two. You know, there's Jesus, then Paul, right? So he's pretty up there. Let me ask you a question. Did Paul have great faith? Yes or no? Did Paul have great faith? Yes. Yeah, he did. Another question. Does God have the power to heal? Now say it like you believe it. Does God have the power to heal? All right. Yeah, God has the power to heal. God can do anything. And what I want you to see is this. If there was ever a candidate for God to heal someone, to answer a prayer, it would have been Paul. Because he's pretty high on the list. He's pretty faithful. He has a lot of faith. And God can do it. But yet God doesn't. And see, there's some of you that are here today, and again, you keep praying about something in your life over and over and over again. Somebody to be healed about your relationships, about your finances, about your job situation. There's something in your life you keep praying and begging and pleading God, God, take this away. And God hasn't done it. And again, you start to doubt God's love for you. But always think about Paul. Again, if ever there was a candidate for a miracle, it was Paul. But God didn't answer the prayer. Why? Because God wanted him to experience his power. And finally, Paul is so overwhelmed by this whole thing that God reveals to him why he's allowing it to happen. And what I want to say to you this morning here, Exponential, is this. The same word that was revealed to Paul is the word of God to you. That in your situation, here's what God wants you to hear. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting with verse 9. The first part of the verse says this. God is speaking. He says, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in what? What's it say? My power works best in? In weakness. It's not when we're strong that God's power works best. It's in our weakness that God's power works best. And so then, it switches from God speaking to now Paul is going to speak. And what he's about to say sounds absolutely crazy. Look at the end of verse 9 and the beginning of verse 10. Paul says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. 
That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Paul says, look, if God's power works best in my weakness, then guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. Because now God's power is going to show in and through me. God's going to really reveal himself through the trials and the insults and the persecution. You know, as you read the story of Paul's life throughout the New Testament, he went through some things, didn't he? He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake and left for dead. He went hungry many times. All this bad stuff is happening, but yet Paul's going, you know what, I eventually got to the place in life where even with this thorn in the flesh that I had and all the other junk going on in my life, I got to be okay with it. In fact, I started to rejoice in it. Why? Because God's power was being revealed through my weakness. Again, that sounds weird until we read the end of verse 10. He explains it further and he says, For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul realized that, you know what, the same spirit, the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of me. But when I'm trying to do my own thing, then I'm pushing the spirit away. But when I just fully surrender to God, now the, the spirit can work in and through me and do great and mighty things. So we need to realize that for our lives as well. That if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And again, it's got to be less about what you want, and more about Him and our dependence on Him and His power. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Again, Lisa and I just uh, got back recently from our vacation, and part of our vacation was spent in California. And one night we stayed in Santa Barbara, California. We were only there overnight, but we had a great dinner right along the ocean there. And then after dinner, we took a, a walk up along the beach and then through the marina area. There's a picture here for you on the screen that as we were walking, it was just absolutely beautiful. Now, as we're walking, and, and I'll stand this way just for a second, because as you're looking at that, there's a marina back here behind us, okay? And so the entrance to the marina is you had to sort of come around and then you would come in this way. Does that make sense? So we're actually walking along the break that keeps the ocean waters from crashing in uh, to hit all the boats. So, I mean, literally behind us, there'd be thousands of boats. I mean, it was huge. And so uh, here's what I want you to notice. Can, can you see over here, there's a little kayaker. Can you see him there on the left-hand side? About halfway up, kayaking. He was heading into the marina. Now, there's all these sailboats. Notice over here the, the yellow sailboat, the yellow sail, uh, sailboat, see that one? He was also heading to the marina. Guess who got there first? Yeah, the sailboat did. Now, that seems weird, right? Because the kayaker is so much closer than what that sailboat is. How in the world did the sailboat get in faster than the kayaker? The answer is very, very simple. One was relying on human strength. The other was relying on the wind a power that was not their own. Now, in Greek, the word for wind is pneuma. 
And so what we can say is that the, the pneuma, the, the wind, blew that sailboat in faster than the kayaker that was relying on his own strength. Wind is one way that we translate the word pneuma. You know what else we get from the word pneuma? Spirit. When God speaks about his spirit living inside of you, it's that word pneuma. And I think this is a beautiful illustration for what our lives are like. Many of us are sitting in the kayak and we're paddling as hard and fast as we can. And we're going, God, I'm tired. I'm tired here. It's more than I can handle. Please, God, no more. No more. And God's saying, stop rowing. Put the sail up and allow the power of my spirit to blow you safely into the harbor. not about you. It's all about him. Again, many of you, you're just rowing away. You're like, God, why are you giving me more than I can handle? God's like, so you'll learn to depend on my power. Now listen, that doesn't mean that you just then say, well, it's all God's thing. Just sitting back, chilling out now. Take it away, God. It's not what I'm saying. Somebody once said it this way. They said, pray like everything depends on God, and then work like everything depends on you. So there's still a part that you have. God doesn't just suddenly make you a robot and say, now you're, you're spirit-possessed. And, you know. But what he is saying is this. Instead of you trying to figure everything out, he says, depend on my spirit. Instead of it being your plan and your agenda, I think some of us need an agendaectomy. Little, little spiritual surgery. Get your agenda out of your life and say, God, here I am. What is it that you want me to do? And then, God, once, it is, uh, once you tell me what it is that you want me to do, which oftentimes is more than what we think we can do, now I need your, sp your spirit to, to give me the strength and the power to do it. So, yeah, you're, you're going to get to places in life that it's like, God, this is more than I can handle. But don't, don't in those moments go, God must not love me. God doesn't care for me. God has neglected me. He's forsaken me in some way. He hasn't. The reason he allows it is so that you'll depend on his presence. You'll depend on his power. So stop rowing. Start sailing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to to get together and just to uh, look at your word and, uh, Father, look at probably one of the most misquoted scriptures that there is, that you said that you won't give us more temptation than what we can bear, but you said nothing about other things in life. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would just surrender our whole lives to you. Whatever it is that we've come in here with today that's burdening us, that's a, a thorn in our flesh, Lord, that we would lay it at your feet and say, Jesus, you take it now. And that 
that experience would draw us closer to you. And that we would learn to be more dependent on who you are and all that you're doing for us. Father, I don't know what those things are that people are experiencing this morning, but you do. So right now, help them to feel your supernatural love, your grace, and just a a clear next step of what it is that needs to happen in order to glorify you through whatever situation so that we too, like Paul, can say that we rejoice in our sufferings, that we take pleasure in persecution and hardship and insults. What faith that takes, Lord. Help us to have that kind of faith. Help that to be a a shining light to other people in our community that don't yet have a relationship with you, that they, they look at us and they say, there is something different about you. I mean, if I was going through what you were going through, I'd be flipping out right now, but you have such a peace about you. What's different about you? And in that moment, Jesus, we'd be able to to share that it's not anything I'm doing. It's not my strength. It's not my power. But it's the Spirit of God, the, the pneuma working in my life. I stopped rowing. I started sailing. And you can have that as well. Lord, help us to, to be able to share that simple message with people that we come in contact with. Lord, again, we thank you for who you are, all that you're doing here in our midst. Lord, we thank you for our country, the freedoms that we have, and the celebration of our country that we'll be celebrating here over this weekend. Lord, help us never to to take for granted what a great nation that we live in. Help us, God, to, to live in such a way that, again, it inspires others that your way is the best way and that the world's way is just temporary. And, yeah, it's fun for a season, but long term there will be consequences. So help us to be that shining light on a hill. I pray all this in Jesus' name.